Thanks for joining the Pendell Ministry Network podcast. We hope that this will not only benefit your ministry, but also your spiritual walk with God. Enjoy. Hello, Ed Stetzer. Good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Happy to do it. Oh, wonderful. Ed, what we've been doing uh, for the last several months is we're doing a working lunch. This is uh, soup with the soup. And yeah. um, uh, so as you look and see people uh, enjoying their lunch or their coffee. and those Oh, that explains it. I'm wondering, like, is, are you people like, <laughs> thing? Anyway. Oh, you know, church people. That's yeah, what yeah, yeah. Do. That's like our advice. Jim Freaky there. He's doing Dwayne Pierce. They're just whatever. And we're, let me ask this. It's Pendell, so obviously Delaware. Is it all of Pennsylvania? Yeah, so uh, our context is uh, Pennsylvania and Delaware. We have about 400 uh, uh, churches uh, in Pennsylvania and Delaware and about 1,200 credential holders as part of our, uh, part of our network. And so um, these uh, Soups with the Soup have been uh, an open forum where we can just process the uh, the the uh, the craziness of the day that we're living in and try and figure out what our best practices can yeah. be. Uh, I used a couple of your books and a lot of your articles in my dissertation this last oh, year, fun. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I'm I'm now delivered from that uh, from that experience. And uh, are you pl- are you saying that you've been delivered from my books and work? Uh, no, sir. Oh, okay. okay, good. <laughs> I felt a little bit hurt by that. Uh, <laughs> hey, really enjoyed comeback churches. That really became an anchor. Uh, for uh, my my focus was uh, uh, recalibration, church recalibration. Yeah. And I feel like it's such a vital issue for all of church history. And, um, and now here we are in the midst of uh, a fluctuating culture, and um, it, it's been a wild ride. So I'm just going to pass the ball to you and uh, uh, just talk to us about uh, doing church, and especially in the midst of uh, uh, coronavirus and um, uh, social upheaval that we're yeah. experiencing. Yeah, multi- multifaceted realities. By the way, I pastored in Pennsylvania, planted Mill Creek Community Church in the uh, northeast of, uh, excuse me, northwest of Pennsylvania. And the church that blessed us probably the most was Erie First Assembly. And so it was Erie First Assembly was sort of, you know, there's sometimes like a large church in town that wants to be nice to the, all the other small churches, and that was Erie First Assembly. Of course, I have no idea if it's even called that anymore. It's been a long, long, long time. Um, so one of the questions, obviously, is, is uh, what's happening? And here's the answer. Uh, definitively, we have no earthly idea. And, um, you know, last month, I was with the uh, Northwest Ministry Network, and here's what I told them. I said, you know, we, the people were asking questions, you know, what happens next? And what I said to them was, um, it was at the time, mid-May, mid to late May, I said, you need to wait before making big decisions because Texas and Arizona and Florida are making big decisions now that we will wait and see, and in mid to late June, we'll know if it worked or not. So we now know if it worked or not. And so now we have new questions. Now, our area of the country in Illinois and Pennsylvania and Delaware is not experiencing the huge upsurge uh, in large part because, and I'm not saying, I I know people have different views on these things. I'm not saying uh, what you should do in your church, but I am saying that the stronger mitigation efforts that the Northeast took clearly has had an impact that now allows us to have some conversations. I was on the phone with our governor here in Illinois, who's been very, uh, you know, Pennsylvania has been more, Pennsylvania Delaware has not been as restrictive as Illinois. But now that we're at a place where we're not seeing widespread community spread, we're talking about how can we go to 25% or 50% successfully, whereas that's not the conversation. I don't know if you've noticed, but um, a lot of the church in Arizona, in AG and otherwise, they have all halted their plans. They've reversed their plans in some cases. We had one of the largest church in Florida uh, opened one week and now is shut down for the foreseeable future. Not because bad things happen suddenly there, but because um, they found out some of the challenges. So here, here's the thing. We are not through this crisis. We have more to go and to learn and to see. Um, and so one of the questions we're asking is, I, I did a couple of presentations and I, I, let me say to you that all of the presentations that I'm going to share with you, if I ever refer to a PowerPoint, let me just tell you where it is. You can download it for free, edstetzer.com slash, I'm just typing this in the comments in the, in the chat, edstetzer.com slash resources. So a couple of key PowerPoints that we did here 
One of them was called the four phases of the crisis, because we have to think in terms of crisis management at this point. We're in the largest and longest uh, crisis in our lifetimes. Um, and it's now, now again, you might have had a personal crisis that was more significant. If you're battling cancer, your crisis is, is much more uh, impactful to you at that moment. If you wouldn't mind, Ron, uh, Don, I need you to share, give me the ability to share my screen. Um, and what I'll do is I want to show you a couple of PowerPoints that'll sort of help us to kind of manage the crisis well and how that ultimately might be done because we can learn some things from history. We can learn some things from current practice and more. And in doing so, I think the end result is we can navigate this better. So here's, um, here's the four phases of the crisis PowerPoint that, that I, where I told you you can get that and just download that at edstetzer.com slash resources. And in here, what we did is we went through and we talked about kind of uh, this, and this was a while back, um, talked about how to lead through the crisis. Josh Laxon, my, my coworker here, and we talked about, you know, the curve and all this sort of stuff. And then, the, you know, the flattening the curve. This was before all of these things. And, and we talked in terms of four phases. Phase one is pause and pivot. That's what everyone did in April. It's like March and April. What in the world is going on? And uh, by the time we got to May, we were all TV evangelists. It was quite sudden. And here we are. We're all put your hand to that screen. And, uh, you know, we're all TV evangelists now. Um, but that was, that was significant change and disruptive change. But the challenge is that's not the, really the crisis. And the crisis is a rolling crisis is one of the things that we've ultimately seen. But then we get to phase two, which is prepare and plan. And you prepare and plan for different things spiritually. And, and this, is, this is a, you know, I'm just going through this brief, briefly because we've kind of walked through some of these phases. We talked about some of the best practices. We talked about, we talked about a thing, good neighbor bingo. We talked about missional practices during COVID-19. Again, all of this, you see me going quickly, go to edstetzer.com slash resources, download it right there. Phase three is to engage and execute in the midst of the crisis. Now, here's something that we learned since we did this PowerPoint. You go back and forth. What we're finding is, is that, and I'm gonna talk about this in a minute, is that in a sense, it's like an accordion now, right? We're, we're gonna find, you have more space, you, you can meet, then you can't meet. That's what they're seeing in Arizona. That's what they're seeing in Florida. Now, the reality, that's what they're seeing in Beijing. So this is not just here, right? Because of our you know, more freedom-oriented ways, uh, this virus just flares up. So we went through different ways of engaging um, and, 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 and ways, you know, we, how we do this well with communication, delegation management. Uh, then we talked about recover, recover and reemerging. Uh, and that's what I wanna focus on with you is this part, is recover and reemerging. So to do that, um, I'm actually gonna close this and I'm gonna pull up a, uh, a, by the way, I have this in, in Spanish and English at edstetzer.com slash resources, and it's yours to use. And I've got a video of me explaining this. If you wanna go through this with your staff, uh, all this is there for you, your staff, your elders, whatever works for you. So take a look here at this PowerPoint, and this kind of gives us uh, the deep dive on relaunching the church. Um, and the deep dive on relaunching the church is, is different in many, many ways because it's still a question, an open question. So I can see you on the screen, right? So I'd like to know uh, how many of you ha are still not in, by, by, by show of hands, how many of you are still not in any form of public worship at this point? Would you raise your hand? Just hold your hand up if you're right now not gathered publicly. Okay, just see just a handful of you. Uh, okay, uh, how many of you are gathered with reduced capacities? Raise your hand just so I can see those hands. Okay, that's far more common, okay, okay. And how many of you are just all in, you're gathered, you're public, just raise your hand so I can see them. Okay, just a couple, fewer of that. So kind of the main is, is meeting with capacity limits. And so when we talk about this moment here, so we, again, this is something we created at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Um, we want to look at what it would look like to recover and reemerge. And I think the, your show of hands sort of shows in many ways where we are. Um, it's, we're, we talk, we see that in the upper left-hand corner, there's a group of people dancing. Now I know, I understand somebody's got history and I know that you would not approve of such dancing unless it were before the Lord. Um, and, but, uh, we right now, um, are going to find that we probably won't end up returning to normal, but we got to seek to return to a new normal. That's going to be a mitigated normal for a while. Now, some questions to ask, you know, what do I need to improve? How can we improve it? What needs to change? How can we change? What do we need to add? What do we need to stop? A lot of questions. Now, 
there was an article published in a blogging platform called the medium, which is kind of well-respected blogging platform, but then it just went crazy and got picked up uh, by, by everybody. And here's what uh, this was reported in the New York times. Um, so here's kind of, this is the article it's called coronavirus, the hammer and the dance. So if you see the do nothing, the mitigation, well, this is what happened. The hammer. Now, now, by the way, there's a significant debate people are having whether or not we flatten the curve or not. Just so you know, we've actually drastically reduced the number of daily deaths. That's been flattened. And simultaneously, we've drastically increased the number of first-time infections, but moved to more younger people. So I didn't want, you know, people going, well, I want to argue about this, I want to argue about that. Two things can be true at once. We can chew gum and walk at the same time. But here's what the author of the article explained. It says, I call the months-long period between the hammer and the vaccine the dance because it won't be a period during which the measures are always the same harsh ones. Some regions will see outbreaks again. Others won't for a long period of time. Depending on how the cases evolve, we'll need to tighten social distancing or we'll be able to release them. This was written in March. This is now your life and mine, right? So we're waiting to see. And eventually this will be when we get uh, more under control. I mean, assuming it doesn't fully break loose, which is a possibility at this point, and we just lose complete control of it. But assuming it doesn't fully break loose and we lose complete control, uh, you're going to find that your county is going to be far more important than your state. Um, you're going to have an outbreak in such and such county, and that county is going to probably direct churches to shut down. Now, you may say, can, church, can they do that? The answer actually is yes. The Supreme Court has ruled that for times, now people haven't determined how long of the time, it also has to do with the severity of the crisis, churches can uh, be restricted to that. Now, um, what we're learning is, is that we're in between those realities right now. So let's take a look at uh, more through the PowerPoint. Um, again, all at edstetzer.com slash resources. So there's some rules, uh, there's some rhythm, there's some moves of the COVID-19 dance that we all are going to need to learn. This was the CDC guidance, right? Get the gating criteria. They said satisfy before a phase comeback. Um, this was sort of the plan and then not, not a lot of people followed the plan. Uh, it was out one day and uh, you, the president wasn't following the, wasn't like encouraging people to follow the plan. People did, some states did. My state was actually much more uh, strict than the CDC plans. Other states were not at all. Uh, people will debate that. 50 years from now, if Jesus hadn't returned, people will debate the state by state response uh, to this. Just as we all know that in Philadelphia, they had a big parade right at the beginning of the Spanish flu epidemic and it became a hugely destructive uh, force of spreading the flu, and Philadelphia was one of the hardest hit, where St. Louis canceled the same parade, and the difference was there. People will know city by city, and uh, 50 years from now. So gating criteria, and it talks about large venues, and what we learned was a few things. We knew that we should maximize physical distance. We knew that large venues had to operate differently. That's something, that we did, they didn't know this 100 years ago, but there's a multiplication exponential vector in a large group. And so you get these huge super spreader events. We have a super spreader present and we've heard a lot about choirs and things of that sort. So this is phase one, right? So, but again, people didn't follow that, but phase two was moderate social distancing for churches, settings of more than 50 people, phase three. Okay. So here's what we found. Uh, and you know, of course, New York just got pushed back because they weren't equally applying. Here's, here's where the legal cases come in. Um, you will, your governor or your state or whatever will be in trouble if he or she says um, movie theaters can meet, but churches can't meet. Uh, but nobody's in trouble when they say no groups larger than 50 can meet. That actually has been, uh, the Supreme Court has actually ruled in favor. This was a month ago. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of California enabling restrictions. I just don't think they can keep those forever. We've talked to our governor who's backed off on those. But here's my point right? So you can have those restrictions and you're going to need to recognize that this is going to probably be your life at some time in the next few months in some different ways. It's going to look like this. It's uh, you know, it's a windy road or put another way, it's a, it's a, like an accordion in some ways, right? You know what an accordion is, is sort of one of those things that goes up and down uh, in size. And we're going to find that uh, we've affected lots of different ways, how people gather, how people live, Large gatherings are impacted, people's state of mind's impacted, finances are impacted. Um, depending upon the size of your church, most Assemblies of God churches are, well, the normal Assemblies of God church is in the, uh, in the low, uh, low 100, lower high 90s in attendance, if I remember Sherry Doty's most recent statistics. Um, 
And by the way, you mentioned at the beginning, the Comeback Churches, you know, Sherry Doty actually worked with me on that, on that book and that resource. So you guys were a good partner in that, in some ways that God was. Um, so this is impacting everything. If your church is smaller or rural, you've probably been impacted, not always, you know, your situation is your situation. But a lot of smaller rural and urban churches on the smaller side have been hit financially 15 to 20% is their budgets have reset at that lower level. Now that's different if you look at, um, at uh, like more suburban churches or more affluent churches, churches where, where people have more resources, uh, they're giving online, that, that seems, tends to change things. So let's keep walking through this. And then I'm going to give you the opportunity to have questions too. Um, but three to six months, we're still learning to dance the new moves. There are some new things you're going to need to learn, practical stuff like policies and procedures regarding safety precautions. Who would have guessed that we need to have a protocol of sanitizing between services? But if you've got two services, that's your reality. Now, um, now, if you're right now, if you're a small church, you are in, this is your time. This is a good day to be a small church because it enables you to have a lot more freedom than people have had in the past. And so be thankful for that small church, uh, that small church opportunity, that small church moment. Um, but, you know, so here's, here's where it gets tricky, right? So uh, I just finished up this week. I, I was the, this was my final Sunday as the interim pastor for about four years for a church in Chicago called the Moody Church. So um, I'm going to show you this picture, not because I think you to say, ooh, ah, or anything of that sort, but I want you to see this for just a second. Um, I, and I want you to have a little bit of the reaction that I think people have today. So this is the church that until um, well, yesterday, they just gave my last day, they gave me a really cool thing. This is, a, this is a little plaque they gave me. And this little plaque, I'll show you in just a minute. Uh, but the little plaque actually is made from the door, 100-year-old doors of the church, which was super cool. But so why do I tell you this? Because that picture right there, it scares 60 to 70% of the people in our community right now. So in other words, where you look at that, and I look at that, and we say, man, that'd be really cool to go to, what a, what a great church that is. That now is a scene of terror for a significant number of people in our community. Furthermore, it's a scene of irresponsibility and neighbor danger. In other words, we are actually, if we, had, if we gathered like that, our neighbors would believe that we are putting them ultimately in danger. Wow. So in other words, the very thing that God calls people to do to gather is now what is causing people to question their judgment and more. We saw that with uh, the news, all the coverage of yesterday's services at, uh, uh, in Dallas, at First Baptist Dallas, right? So you, you saw that whether you thought it was a good idea or bad idea, it was, people covered it with breathless concern on the news. So all of a sudden you got these new practical things, uh, you've got new finances to consider, reset that's there, you've got ministry models, um, how are we functioning in the way we are today? And I think part of that's gonna be questions of size and uh, capacity. So what does it look like? Um, what does it look like for 50 or 25% capacity? You know, again, think in terms of that accordion. That's an accordion church is what we're looking like, looking at, where things are just gonna go up and down. So here's where we find ourselves, right? We literally find ourselves drawing maps and marking out uh, locations that people can sit. And you need a map like this if you're gonna to begin to gather together again. Um, you'll notice the yellow is actually people and the red is buffer. So your sanctuary is going to be, yellows are families. It's so, so family units sit together. You have some singles folks in there as well. Um, but all of a sudden, your sanctuary's capacity is greatly diminished. And, um, you know, finding the place to, to put people becomes a key concern. Now, here's some things we've learned already. First, people are not rushing back to church. Some of you have probably seen that. A couple of you raised your hand and said you're fully open. But my guess is, that uh, you're fully open and you're still not having major movements to back to church. Now, what you're finding is, is what we're finding is, is people generally in a series of categories and how are you going to manage and how are you going to lead through those categories becomes the, the, the key question. So let me just, this isn't on the screen, but let me just share with you. Okay. So key categories, right? There are your, we must return now people. They believe their civil liberties have been violated. Uh, sometimes they believe that the wearing of masks is harmful to their lungs. They, they are, they are not always, but they are ready to come back. They believe this flu, this virus is a flu or has been overblown or whatever term they use to describe it. And they see you as complicit with the compromise being placed upon uh, the, the churches that will have long-term repercussions. Now, I'm not saying that's you. But how many of you, with a show of hands, have heard some variant of that in the last few weeks? Would you raise your hand for just a second? 
Okay. All right. So good for lots of people, right? So that's some. And then there's people who think, you know, it's probably good for us to start getting back to church. Um, they're not feeling it's a religious liberty issue. They might say, hey, we're fine, but you know, I kind of miss church. I will tell you, my Donna, my wife, she says to me the other day, she says, so I'm kind of over like online church. I, you know, I, I want to go back to church. And yes, yeah, I see those hands too, right? It's a lot of that. Um, and so, so yet when Donna and I see, we're in a state like the Northeast is just different and the Midwest is different. Um, but when we went up to, on Memorial Day weekend, we went, we up to, went up to Wisconsin and we went to a beach because everything's closed here and nobody was wearing masks and we were a little freaked out. So, cause we have now been like used to that. So, so for us, it would be a little bit of a challenge to go back in, but I think, you know, so about, and I, I might almost put them in quartiles, you know, about a quarter of the people are of the group, you're religious liberty and you're hurting us. we got to get back together. About a quarter are, yeah, I think it's probably time to come back. About a quarter are, yeah, I'm, I'm open to that. I want to see how it goes. I'm not really sure that I want to come back right now. Uh, I'd like to see how the church handles it. And so about a quarter of your people are really concerned that, um, you know, I know some people in my church are going to just, you know, maybe they're just not going to wear masks. I need to, I've got my, my, my son has asthma. You know, I, I, you know, I just finished around the chemo. So about 25% really would think it'd be good to come back, but they're very hesitant to return uh, right now. Want to, but hesitant. And then there's another 25% who would really think badly of you if you got, they would consider you irresponsible. Uh, this would be wrong to gather together. And maybe it's not as high as 25%, but there's a substantial number who you're hearing people's voices that if we do this, it's going to be a bad witness to the community. It's going to endanger people. So we've got kind of these four camps right now. And if there's ever a time for leadership and not an easy time for leadership, this is the time. Now, here's, here's the great thing, pastors. If you uh, went into ministry, get everyone to like you, you have chosen poorly. So we just got to get through that because that's what leadership is. If you want everyone to like you, go sell ice cream because everyone likes the person selling ice cream. Um, so what we have now is, is a, an opportunity for leadership and leading well. Let me give you an example. When you, you know, Pennsylvania and Delaware are a little different in their rules. But um, Pennsylvania, a little more open, depending on where you are, there's some, you know, what you get in the districts and states and cities. But um, when you open, when you begin to open, you really want to recognize that um, you need to lead people through this decision. Because people already, we've had people leave the church I serve. We've had people leave our church already to go to churches that were opening because they believed that we were taking seriously the word of God and the need to gather. That may happen to you as well. However, we'd, have, we'd, we'd blow up the place with people just upset if we were to open earlier. So here's how you want to do it when that time comes. You want to communicate our, and I'm, if somebody's got church, you have different language sometimes in, between different churches, but let's say our staff and our elders, let me just use that generically as our leadership team. Our staff, elders, we want to use credential ministers. We have thought this through. We have prayed this through. We have determined that this is how the spirit is leading us as a church to respond. We recognize that people may not agree. We recognize that there are people inside and outside of our churches who have strong opinions, but this is what we believe the Spirit is leading us as a church to do, and here's how we plan to move forward. And then articulate it in that, not, you know, the governor says we can't do that, the county says we can't do that, um, but instead, we, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, because we care for our people in our church. So let's say, for example, at our church, we'll probably begin with masks. Chicago is pretty hard hit and a high, still high numbers of people. So we're downtown Chicago. Well, we, I'm not there anymore. I'm not the interim pastor anymore. So it's kind of weird, but yesterday I would have said we, um, so what we would say is, uh, we're going to have a service where, uh, we are going to follow ingress and egress. We have very clear protocols in place. We're going to ask you to sit in different places. If you, we're going to ask you to wear a mask. We're going to ask you not to sing, but to kind of listen to some of the music and we'll worship in quiet. And if you choose not to follow those directions, we're going to ask you to leave. And if you not leave, we're going to shut down the church that Sunday. Now, I know that's, that sounds very, very strong, but you have to let people know because there's a whole lot of people who are being discipled right now by their, their social media feed who have become convinced, even radicalized. And some, maybe some of you might think I'm radicalized on some of these issues. But then you might say, we're going to have a second service after that, where it's going to be a mask optional service, not the first service, but it might, the second service might be a mask optional service. Um, but when you say you're going to have service with masks, you need to say, because we have several people in our church who are diabetics and we have some people who have asthma and, and, uh, but then the second service might be a mask optional service. 
end, you're going to try this. And if everyone can follow the protocols, you know, try it for a month, see how it works, and then try to increase it up a little more. Now, here's a couple of things we found. People are not rushing back. Hill Country Bible Church is a, a well-known church in Texas, Tim Hawks. Uh, they said like 15% of their people came back. And it was all in that first category. It was all people like, there's no big deal. We need to have. And they actually had protests when they said masks. You had to wear masks. So they, they went to a mask service and a mask optional service for the second service. So again, this is not going to be without challenge. You are going to have to lead in a way that you've never led before. Closing down was way easier than opening is going to be, for sure. Let me show you a few more things, and then we're going to definitely go to your questions as well. Because I know I'm probably surfacing 100 of them as we go through here. I'm not going to get to all these uh, slides, so we'll get to a few more. Because one of the questions people are asking is about, what about children's ministry? And, um, and that's a good question. Let me encourage you to start now surveying your church. You need to be asking your church questions so you know who's what. You might ask them anonymously. You might have them fill out their names. But, for example, at what point would you be willing to bring your children back to church? Um, an official all clear from the CDC, lifting of state guidelines, or there's nothing. I mean, where are people? Here's what we're finding. Uh, those nurseries, some people are starting open with just nurseries, babies. Most people are not even doing that. What most people are doing is family worship. And we've done that before. We've all done that at Christmas Eve or stuff like that. And when you say, hey, we're going to all have family worship, you know, all of your kids together, people are not shocked when some kid makes some noise, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, or offered limited ministry as well. But here's the thing. Nursery is disproportionately staffed by older women. I mean, that's not shock to you. That's just the numbers, how it works. Guess what? Older people are not rushing back to volunteer in places where there may be community spread, particularly where children are asymptomatic and they could, the children will be fine, but they could end up getting sick from that. So you might have to see who's willing to come back in, create new protocols, um, eventually maybe have parents sign up. When we met with our governor this week, he, had, he, just, he just asked, all I'm asking is that everybody make sure they have a placeholder system. We used to call it tickets, but now we've all been smart enough, we don't call it tickets anymore because that makes people mad. When we did our Christmas musical and we asked for tickets, people got mad at us. But we have placeholders. Um, and this way you know, because if you start opening, you got nine and 11, and everyone rushes to 11, you, you're in trouble. So you've got to make sure that that's balanced out. So again, and then mission, how are you on mission spiritually, socially, culturally? These are all questions that need to be asked. Um, you know, a couple of things, I, in addition to sharing the gospel just widely and boldly right now, I think this is one of the greatest times of openness in our lifetime, but don't lose momentum with online. So we're, uh, our church, our church is in Chicagoland. We're going to move back to uh, public gathering with probably 25%, the large churches. So I've kind of convened the large churches in our community. Um, and had him on a call, got him on a call tomorrow. And we're, our plan is, is that on the Sunday after Labor Day, all of us are going to announce that we're going to begin regathering at limited capacity. Now, again, don't misunderstand. That may not be where you are. I mean, if you're in, if you're in Alatuna, if you're, if you're somewhere, you know, that's different. I don't, I don't know the situation there, but you, wherever you may be, you can kind of determine your context, but we're in Chicagoland. And most of our churches I'm talking about, these are 2,000 and above in attendance, which I will tell you, it's just frightening to people to gather in large groups. So we're going to gather, um, looking at things like Hill Country Bible Church, one of the earliest mega churches to open, or Fellowship Church, one of the earliest mega churches to open, is that neither of them have seen over a third of their people come back. Um, so we're going to begin then, but we're still primarily going to be an online experience. So we're going to be, like I'm talking to you right now, but there could be people behind me, and I might say, so listen, let me do, I look at you when I'm talking about this and I look up and say, and for those of you here in the room as well, let me say this, but it's primarily an online experience, perhaps for a year. Um, and so that's changed. So don't miss the, the shift that online is the new Mars Hill, the new place, that marketplace of ideas. Uh, launching virtual small groups, uh, being strategic, mission of vulnerable populations. It's a great time to start thinking about church planting as well. Church Multiplication Network just announced yesterday a new leader. Good opportunity to get behind church planting as well. Um, and, and again, engagement socially, places to partner with sister churches, assist those in need. I, there's so much here. I'm, I'm going to skip some of this. Um, and we'll go from there. Uh, come back to that, and I'll do this in questions. So let me just skip some of the slides here. So my guess is I, I want to encourage you to start thinking about 9 to 12 months from now. I, I actually think that we are going to emerge from this crisis not the end of this year, but uh, 9 to 12 months from now. I hope, uh, I listened to Dr. Fauci saying that there's 
Uh, he's cautiously optimistic of a vaccine at the end of the year, which I think would be great. Uh, but this crisis, I think for us, because this crisis is multifaceted now, um, don't miss this, right? We had, of course, the, the virus, but then we had the greatest economic downturn since, or maybe including the Great Depression, um, unemployment at unprecedented levels. Uh, then we had uh, social unrest in and around racial injustice. And then that also became places where it was uh, led to looting and more deeply impacted some of the communities near us at Moody Church. Um, still issues of systemic injustice need to be addressed and, and hopefully are being addressed, but we are, we are seeing protests today like we've never seen. People are still protesting. I don't know if you're following this. People are still protesting all around the world. Um, and, and this is a time of great social unrest. Um, and, and, and then, so all this at the same time, I, I, I'm almost hoping like we're coming up to July and I don't want to know what's behind the door named July because the door named June and the door named May and the door named April have not been our friends. Um, but what a, um, what a crazy time we're living in. So the ramifications of this, I think are going to last for a substantial time. Now I told you one thing, I think it's a good opportunity for smaller churches. Um, probably not as good an opportunity for smaller churches in smaller buildings but still better than the opportunity for, for large churches. Um, I think that I want to kind of leave you with, um, and then we're going to take your questions and dialogue. Um, the, oh, there's already some questions coming in too, and I'll address some of those. I see those now here as well. Um, the, take a look at this five takeaways, I think, from this dance, uh, from the COVID-19 dance. Let me see if I put that up. Here we go. Um, so one of the things that I think really has been a gift from the Lord I don't think this, I wouldn't put the virus in the category. Um, I think the brokenness of the world has become evident and the results of the fall are still clear. But one of the things that has been good is churches have, in a way, never seen before, stepped up and stepped out. And you've seen that, right? We've never before seen churches deployed like this and at this level, and thank God for it. Um, so I hope we can keep that external focus. People say to me all the time, Ed, you know, is this going to change the church forever? And, and, and the answer is maybe, but you know, the most likely thing it's going to do, probably the same thing it did for 2000 years when there was an epidemic or a pandemic, right? Same thing over and over again. <coughs> Sorry, not, not COVID, just for the record. I did just have a test yesterday because I have a procedure on tomorrow, so they make you do tests now. Um, but um, here's what happened. Last thing, you know, I, I, the Spanish flu was something that it impacted early Pentecostals as well. I mean, post Azusa, you know, hot springs, you know, somebody's a God. Soon thereafter, the Spanish flu comes, but not a lot of people recording history of how Pentecostals responded because the movement was too young at that time. But we know how churches responded in general, and they had a really tough two years, and then they went back to the way they did things before. Um, as a matter of fact, the most likely scenario is not that COVID-19 will drastically change the way we do church in two years. In fact, that's my greatest concern is that we'll go back to the way it's been before the pandemic. Because I think ultimately God has given us an opportunity to learn new ways of doing ministry that are more scattered than gathered. And I believe in gathered. I think gathered is a mark of a biblical church. But what a moment we're in to see people serving one another at new and un, you know really unparalleled levels, higher capacities. So I hope we can continue these things. For example, again, back to my uh, screen and the list of these things that I'm sharing is that we'll see uh, external focus, utilizing tech, tech at a higher level, leveraging our facilities in fresh new ways, uh, churches as small groups being equipping families and uh, restructuring finances as well. Uh, one last thing, and then I see some drop questions in the chat, which is great. I'll get to those in just one second. One last thing I just want to say to you, I'm worried about some of you, don't know you. Uh, I don't, I, I mean, I can look at your pictures and all of you look very nice. Um, but I am worried about some of you because we've seen a lot of pastors um, struggle emotionally, uh, mentally, uh, being drained, and uh, maybe their soul, spirit crushed. And I want to encourage you that to not um, wear out in the midst of this dance. Thinking how the Lord worked in Elijah's life, right? When we, you know this example from First Kings, uh, and it's it says suddenly you know rest and eat. You got to take that time. Do one of the things for me is I actually had determined in January this was going to be the biggest crisis in our lifetime. I, don't, I, don't, I read too many pandemic books. I think I just watched that pandemic movie. So I said to my wife in late January, I said, baby, this is going to be the biggest deal in our whole life. This is going to change the world. They're going to shut down schools and churches. And she said, what are you talking about? And then I said that, I came back to the Billy Graham Center and said, 
Uh, I want us to start preparing in February. This is going to be the greatest crisis in our lifetime. This is why we were early out with resources. You know, you saw coronavirus in the church and some other resources. Um, well, one of the things for me, those of you who know me, I'm back. Um, and I actually realized, you know, one of the early things you saw out of China was that there was a comorbidity to obesity. And I know if you're overweight that you're feeling a little, I mean, because I, I get it. I, I'm overweight. When people talk about that, I don't like people talk about it. But I don't want to die. And so I started exercising in January and I've lost 55 pounds and, um, you know, trying to change my eating patterns and habits. And that's given me the strength to make through some of the, some of the challenges that are just going on right now. It's been hard. Um, you know, particularly when you're locked up, you know, I, I know that the COVID-15 is common for me. It's just, I had to make a change to my life and to my lifestyle. Still got a long ways to go because I'm, I'm 55 pounds. I know some of you'd be like, that would be amazing. But 55 pounds for me is a start. Um, but in God's goodness, um, we've got to get perspective. That's what Elijah did. We've got, to, um, we've got to be real with the Lord. And ultimately, we've got to listen for God's voice and find and be in community with other people as well. Um, so I, I, would, I would think that in those situations, we'd all be like, oh, yeah, that's important. We do those things. So one of the things that we created just recently, I want to bring your attention to, uh, I think you've been, probably many of you are aware of our coronavirus and the church uh, website. And let me just show you real quickly. And then I'm going to start moving over to your to your questions and your comments. Uh, but if you look here, this is our coronavirus and the church uh, website. This is what we did with um, the um, in, with with uh, Peace Plan, Saddleback, and a bunch of different denominational leaders, and created this post COVID sort of playbook and helping people take these next steps and more. Um, and so, but what we uh, also launched is this, the Pastor Resilience Initiative, is that we're finding resilient church leadership. Uh, we've got webinars on backstage, finding strength and the courage, resources to encourage you to survive or thrive. There's a podcast now, help you with your sanity, um, to co free coaching sessions for people who are struggling. Uh, we're finding pastors, it's a hard time, and we want to serve and help pastors kind of in the difficult time where we find ourselves. So that's kind of what I wanted to share in general. And then go. I'll go to your questions and um, uh, kind of move on from there. Um, the let's see. Uh, so let me just go over some of your questions and go on from there. Uh, okay. Let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. What do you? This is from New City Church. And uh, when do you feel church will truly feel the financial impact? We have not yet. Giving is up a bit. We got PPP on to help. It's a, it's a good question. So here's what happens in the way giving patterns work finances actually um, uh, forgiving trend behind unemployment by a few months. And since most of our giving in evangelical traditions is through tithing, the uh, very generous unemployment benefits, remember almost all of the job losses were among people at the lower end socioeconomically of pay. So job losses were to uh, you know, people working at the grocery store, job losses were to people, you know, servers at restaurants. Uh, so, you know, in any crisis, the poor are always those who get hurt the worst. And that's still true here. It's always the case. So there was, um, so, so again, most of our giving in most of our churches, not all of our giving, but most of our giving in most of our churches is actually given as a uh, percentage and a tithe. And thus, it's not immediately impacted. If this, uh, and by, by the way, I'm going to continue to answer this, but can you drop any other questions you have? Let's drop those in the chat so I'll be able to go through those. If there's a V-shaped recovery, which was still possible, but that seems that possibility seems to be draining. So V-shaped means the economy crashes down and then powers back up because of whatever. You know, in the reopening, people were sort of hoping that would happen. And the stock market was sort of hoping that was happening. Uh, and I think the stock market has but to kind of determined that maybe we're not talking about a V. Now, here's the deal. I hope everybody still hopes we'll have a V-shaped recovery. I mean, this is people's jobs, their livelihood, and more. Uh, the market's up today 460 points, even as we speak right now, but still down a bunch. So there's still some hope that we go down, we go right back up. That's the V. Uh, if there's a V, your giving has probably already been impacted, has stabilized, and this probably be similar where you are. Uh, on the other hand, if it's a U, it goes down, it stays down until, you know, and remember, there's no promise of a vaccine. There's no promise of a therapeutic. There are some viral infections that have no vaccines ever. But assuming we're cautiously optimistic, it goes to you, something happens, maybe February, March of next year, 
and then things turn around. You're probably going to see a dip in giving later in this year as unemployment begins to catch up because it begins to impact people who, you know, unemployment benefits run out more than that. If it's more of it goes down and then basically a slow hockey stick up for a long time, that's where you're going to see more. So, so here's what I would say. Um, if your giving has, you know, I encourage people not to make big decisions in April and May. I think now you sort of know June and July are time to look at, okay, here's how we have restabilized. And I think at this point you need to make some decisions. And if, again, typically smaller churches, rural and urban are down, typically, not all, typically, you might have to reset some things. Uh, if you're up, well, great. That, that can actually be a good thing. But what I would say is how long this recession lasts is going to determine because what happens is giving lags behind unemployment. So people, because they get unemployment report, so usually about six months after a sharp economic downturn, churches start feeling it, not right away. I don't know how, we've never had anything like this before, so we don't know. Okay, let's see. Um, ba -ba -ba. Don asks, what opportunities, threats do you see the church may be missing? Yeah. Yeah, so I think some of the threats is, I think that the, you know, that Christmas Eve service we're all planning to have and invite everybody to invite their friends? Yeah, forget that. So that's not going to happen. So the invitational approach to evangelism is, for the foreseeable future, probably on the back burner. Um, and that's been the primary way that we've sought to reach people is to invite them to church. Um, people will be tentative, if not outright, uh, you know, defensive or, or, or concerned about church invitations for a while. Now, again, I think it will turn back to normal, right? This is not unusual. It was that way in the Black Plague. It was that way in the Spanish flu. So it will, it will return to that. But right now, that's just kind of the reality of where we are. So that, that, that being said, um, I think the opportunity here for people, I think people are hungry and people are open for the good news of the gospel. So I actually think that we might want to return to some intentional gospel sharing strategies and teaching. I would do right now, I would be doing evangelism training. I would say, here's how you engage your neighbor. I think it's easier to invite people. You know, it was a survey of the UK that over 20% of people who don't go to church have visited a church online since the COVID uh, crisis. I think it's easier to invite people. I would uh, do special events. I would, um, you know, I, I, would, I would recognize people are watching that you might not have thought about were watching before. So to answer Don's questions, I think that the, the threats are, if we're going to rely on attractional church, this is going to be a tough time. If on the other hand, you'll seize the opportunity that everybody can now engage everybody else. I mean, what I did uh, for Easter, I actually asked everybody to do their own Facebook Live. I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but you know, there's a little button on Facebook. The, the, you can just click and suddenly you'll be on Facebook Live. And so what I encourage people to do is to, is to do that. So all you literally have to do, this was, uh, you know, because we were all locked down anyway. So this is here, this is my, uh, my Facebook page right here. So, so you just click right here. If I click right here, um, I am now moved over to a little, it can be intimidating for about a minute, but if you look at it, all you gotta do is, and it's not gonna do live video because I'm doing live video with you, but all you gotta do is start streaming and give your testimony. And if you don't like it, um, is, is uh, you know, go on from there. So, so the, um, you know, just delete it. So, so all of a sudden, I mean, think, think about if all the churches in the Penn Delaware region had everyone in their church share their testimony around Christmas time or around, you know, some special event in September and all posted online and suddenly people's timelines are flooded by their neighbors telling them about the gospel of Jesus. So I think the opportunities are great here as well. All right, let's see, Jason Tourville. Uh, what do you see as best practices in regard to self-care for pastoral leadership? Great question, Jason. I'd encourage you to go over to the Resilient Church Leadership page because we've actually brought together Pastor Serve, which is the largest national uh, ministry geared towards serving pastors, um, Soul Care, Mindy Caliguar, uh, Replenish, Lance Witt. Um, we've got several counselors. And so a couple of things I would say is, and, and uh, let me just be a little uh, transparent. So, you know, I'm, whew, we're maybe, two weeks in, I remember the president shut it down for two weeks and then said, we're going to go four more weeks. And so I said to my wife, Don, Donna is her name. I said, Donna, she's an introvert. I'm not an introvert. Um, and so she, I said to her, so, Hey, listen, four more weeks in lockdown. Cause we'd already been two. actually our governor had more, but so that was nationally four more weeks of lockdown. So this is all of May. I said, so is this like, 
is this like exciting for you as an introvert? I mean, four more weeks of lockdown. And she smiled. She's so loving to me. She says, well, are you going to be here all four of those weeks? And so, you know, it's sort of, okay, <laughs> I got it. Um, so here's what I, I would say is that there was a higher level of stress for Donna, for me. I have three daughters, one of whom's graduation, high school graduation was canceled. One of whom was in college and all her friends just left and she's alone. And, um, and the other you know, can't see her friends anymore. Uh, we were shelter in place state, different levels, different place, but we were shelter in place state. So uh, about two weeks after that, I, you know, all we were doing, we were working 14 hour days. You know, we were creating resources, helping churches. I, I was still pastoring at Moody. And uh, Tuesday, one Tuesday, I just was sitting there in my chair and I just wept. I said, I, it's just too much. My, everybody, so I was, we were all little bickering with each other, trying to get used to being home. I mean, I, I my office, you know, I had trying to record videos in my office right in the middle of our house and that wouldn't work. And I had to go, and now I'm got this little hole in the basement. And now, now I'm actually at my, I snuck into my work office, but it was overwhelming. And I just wept and I said, I've got to get to a new rhythm. And that's what I would say. Most importantly is answer to Jason Turville's question. I think it's a new sustainable rhythm. And that includes the things that you would say to anybody. You would say like daily time with the Lord, time in the Bible. A weekly time, uh, you know, a weekly Sabbath, a diversion uh, away from others, time with your family. My wife and I just recently, you know, we talked about date nights. You know, we, you know, it's funny, you got to go on date nights, but literally we've been together every day for, you know, three months. You know, what are we on? March 111th. Um, and so, uh, but we, we need to get in that rhythm. So, so we're now, you know, we can eat outside in some restaurants. In, inside, I think, is opening soon too. But uh, so, you know, those kinds of things. Um, for me, physical health was just something the Lord had convicted me to do. So I had to get back on physical health. So that, those patterns are going to be different for everybody, but it's rhythms I think we need right now. Uh, what do I, Tom Reese asks, what do you think the future church plan looks like in the U.S.? Uh, I think, Tom, this is a great time to plant a church. Um, I thought about it, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think it's a great time to start small groups because people will be open in times they weren't ever before. I think lost people are asking questions. There is pretty clear ongoing research that um, crises like this lead to greater openness and often are followed by a great awakening of sorts. Although the great awakenings that have happened were followed by crises, now excuse me, were, were preceded by crises. And so it is, so it could be with us. So uh, I would be asking the question where and how should we be planning churches? And, you know, we can start doing some of those things digitally. Now in some places, small groups can begin to meet. Again, it's a great time to be a small church. It's a great time to plan a church. So I think that that's what I would be not drawing back on. Uh, I think too, I think if you ask that in April, people were nervous because a lot of church giving had sort of been bad. In fact, if I, again, I, I can see your screen again. Let me put everyone on one screen. I want to just do a little survey so you can see one another. Um, I know not everyone's on the screen, but I'm going to give you three options that giving is about the same. Giving has gone down or giving has gone up. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you to show me that survey as well. So for how many of you giving, I moved you over to the screen, so I'm looking to my side. How many of you giving has gone down? Raise your hand so we can see it. Giving has gone down, okay? So several of you, okay? How many of you giving has remained about the same? Looks like maybe most of you. How many of you giving have gone, gone up? Okay, a little more up than down, but most in the, in the kind of the same category. So here's the thing. We didn't know that in, in you know, that, that uh, a quarter of churches, when we did this for survey in late April, were down 50%. So there was a stunning shock, but I think ultimately that uh, stunning shock has stabilized. I'm not saying for everybody, but for, for, for many. Okay, let's see. Uh, let's see, New City Church asks, uh, New City Church, I want to know your name. Type in your name so I can say, because your name is not Mr. Church, or Mrs. Church, right? So, all right. New City Church, I'm going to know their name in just a second. We're meeting together, but continue. Eric, Eric Spanier, New City Church. Thanks, Eric. Uh, we're meeting together, but continue to offer online. However, online presence went down significantly before we got, boy, for everybody, for everybody. Don't be discouraged by that. Uh, what tips do you have to enhance online experience? Uh, I fear for some people, online church, just another voice to listen to is disheartening. Yeah, it was for a lot of people because it was really cool when we started. I mean, everyone was like, you know, I mean, Moody's got a lot of numbers already, but we're like 15,000, 20,000 people. But you know what it was? It was all us watching each other's services. So it's, it's, it wasn't, you know, all this flock of unchurched people. Um, and what's happened is people have fatigued out on this. I mean, this is a fatiguing thing. Looking at, right now I'm looking at a green dot. 
uh, it's a fatiguing reality. So a um, couple of things I would suggest. First of all, think in terms of watch parties where groups of people in small groups can engage and bring each other to worship and then can interact with one another during that. So watch parties have helped. Actually, physical watch parties have helped where 10, 15, 20 people come together in a home. People are having to ease back into these things. So Eric's gathered again, but I would enhance online experience. First of all, I would, I would assume that by now, you're off of Facebook Live and YouTube's platforms. Those are not those are not your friends. I mean, they're not bad or evil or anything of that sort. Well, people will debate that. But my point is, you need a more rich experience. You need to get to online.church. That's a Life Church's platform. They share it to everybody, white-labeled. It's, it's not even obvious it's theirs. Um, and it gives you an opportunity to pray with people, move people into prayer rooms, the whole nine yards. Most of us have already done that. Though, you know, Moody Church is this, you know, thousands of people and we were using Facebook because we're a radio church. You know, you know, Moody, you think of Moody Radio. So for us, it took us like three weeks to say, okay, when we, we got these cameras way in the back, because people don't watch us on television, they listen on radio. So we had to change all that. So uh, what I would say is, Eric, I'm, if you're gathered back, well, you are gathered back, I would still have a camera, you know, I'd, I'd probably have the people kind of up front. I'd have a camera over here. I'd have a camera over here. If you could do two cameras, if not just one, and I would look at the camera. Make sure that camera is on your iMag if you have a if you have a you know iMag behind you, so that people are looking at you. And you got to still treat the online audience as your primary congregation right now. So watch parties, which are a Facebook function that people do in their homes, physical gatherings, small groups having services, worship services together, where they can maybe uh, gather together in a space and uh, be in community. And then make sure that your online quality doesn't go down with your uh, with beginning of the online experiences. And thanks for typing that out, Jason. I appreciate that. That's he typed that right there. All right. So, do you believe this is a real indication of imminent end times? How likely are we end up in another shutdown? Yeah. I so I'm kind of theologically, Daniel. I was really, I really thought Jesus was coming back in 1981, and so I'm kind of a little more tempered now in saying that. So I was a new believer and. Uh, uh, I figure, you know, 40 years since the restoration of Israel, that means Jesus comes back 1988, rapture in 1981. So I've been humbled by that. So I'm, uh, so are we in the end times? Yes, we've been in the end times since Jesus ascended to heaven and indicated that these were the end times. So um, this is not the biggest crisis of even this last hundred years. So I think that Christians in China might have asked the question when Mao Zedong began the Cultural Revolution, is this the end times? It was far worse than anything we're experiencing today. The Spanish flu, which had a mortality rate far higher, multiple times higher than this. So what I would say is, is um, calamity does not always mean, has not always meant immediate return of Jesus. Um, I think Jesus come back soon. I think the world is groaning in anticipation. Um, so is it a real indication of imminent end times? I like how you asked that too. That's a good way to ask it, Daniel. Imminent end times. I don't know. I don't know, but I just want to live like it is and kind of go from there. How likely we end up another shutdown? I think likely. I think you should, it really, it's a race to the vaccine, which again, keep in mind, a whole lot of people are not going to take that vaccine. Um, but I do think so. So when we met with our governor, I mean, what our anticipation is, we, we had a church in Chicagoland open up and then their community had uh, a new cluster and they just had to shut down for, for a while. I think that's going to be, or the, you know, the, one of the largest churches in Florida, uh, open, big announcement, we're going to have our opening June 21st. And then their staff were found out when the staff had COVID and exposed to everyone else. And now they're, now they're not bringing it through the future. I think you've got to think in terms of that. You're not going to emerge. First of all, get rid of the language grand opening. You're not having a grand opening anymore. You're having a gradual reopening that will have setbacks. And maybe not. I mean, you know, you know, it's it's a Pennsylvania is a big state, right? And you know, sometimes you know people think of Pennsylvania as I think it was James Carville talked about Pennsylvania. They think of it as you know this monolith. It's not. You know, it's Pittsburgh and it's it's Philadelphia, and then well, James Carville said and it's Alabama in the middle, and it's it's just a different. Those, those are his words, not mine. So don't don't send in, in letters. Um, but you know, it's just different. You know, Johnstown is remarkably different than Mars. Uh, than Warrenville. And, you know, they're just different communities than certainly than King of Prussia. So um, if those are different contexts, you should expect different spread. We, we've seen thus far, this has primarily been an urban crisis or, a, or a, you know, a near big city crisis. 
it seems that that's changing. Matter of fact, the biggest fear people have right now in the medical community, I was talking to my contact at the CDC in the White House, um, and what she said is, is um, right now we see all these people going to these major hospitals and they're all in major cities. And th then, now this is moving into rural areas where rural hospitals, as, as many of you know, rural, across rural Pennsylvania, rural hospitals have been decimated, closed. Um, and what they do now is we're a major crisis. Somebody needs a breathing machine, a ventilator. They, you know, ship them off to, you know, Pittsburgh or maybe State College or, you know, somewhere in, in a major city. Um, the greatest fear they have right now is when the flu season comes up and it's alongside the virus, if, we have, if, if that doesn't change, that we're just going to run out of places and small towns are going to call up the big city hospitals and say, we can't, we can't take anybody. Now, I think we'll have ventilators. The question is, is what will the treatment look like? And uh, we don't want to end up being like Italy. You know, Italy, uh, one doctor at Italy who was a cardiologist said, we're, we're not cardiologists anymore. Nobody's a cardiologist. Nobody's a psychiatrist. Nobody is a urologist. Everybody is an emergency room physician treating one thing, bilateral pneumonia. That's what New York looked like. Uh, if we see that hit hard in Arizona and Texas and then bounce back to Pennsylvania and, and Illinois, yeah, I could see us shutting down uh, again and again. All right, I better go through quickly. I apologize, I went a little long. Uh, what are some of the best practices? Okay, great question from Lisa Rodriguez. Uh, what are some best practices of pastors and church leaders regarding church financial stewardship? Okay, so because that's a long question, I'm gonna actually refer you uh, to, I'm going to post it in here. So I launched a podcast the day, uh, a few days into the crisis called, um, it's called Stetzer Leadership Podcast, but that's not really the point, but, but it's coronavirus and the church. That's the focus of our podcast. And so what we've done is I'm sharing the screen here, uh, conspiracy theories, relationships, grieving in the age of COVID, children's ministry. So here's the one I want to direct you to Todd McMitchin. I think Todd's a somebody's a God. Isn't Todd a somebody's a God? Does anybody know that name? I think he is. Um, okay, don't know the name, but uh, but so Todd McMitchin, this episode, uh, the challenges churches are facing with regard to financial stewardship and how to resolve well. By the way, just looking through the you know pastor resilience in times of crisis. We had Marco Rubio on uh, disproportionate impact in African American communities. This is CARES Act stuff. Uh, you know racism against Asian Americans. What you should know about the law. Uh, you know so staffing issues. This is uh, uh, we had Vanderblumen on talk about staffing issues. And anyway, so it goes on and on. We have. Uh, I don't even know, 30-something episodes. So let me encourage you to, that podcast will address that question. Let me come back to see if I can knock these out. Uh, church leaders, how can a church resource the new felt needs of people? Wow, Nabil, it's a great question. Uh, in fact, super. Um, people are afraid. People are lonely. Uh, and people are, 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 are frustrated. Um, I think the gospel comes into that space, the Christian community comes into that space, and ultimately uh, changes everything. So for me, I think explaining those new realities to people, that you don't have to be alone. The, you can be born again by the power of the gospel. You can be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You can walk in community with other believers. Um, again, I'm, 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 I'm always overly optimistic. It's a, it's a character flaw, My uh, some friends would say. I always think things are going to be fine. Partly, I think that because I've read the end of the book and Jesus wins. Um, but I do think that in the midst of this, this is, this is our moment. You know, I wrote an article for USA Today, and the article I addressed in there, uh, some, of the, some of the challenges that we're in, I called it, I talked about masks, uh, that these masks will come down. And so here's the, here's the, right at the beginning of the pandemic, and super thankful they would, they would give me that platform. But here's, um, Here's the article. And removing the coronavirus mask, uh, may this Christian reveal us as Christians. And by the way, you can tell I actually ordered some beard product recently. Just, I'd want to thank you for Google following me around all the time. Uh, every time I show my Facebook page or my page, yes, I did order some beard product. But anyway, so this is the article called Removing the Coronavirus Mask, May This Crisis Reveal Us as Christians. <clears throat> and if you go to the, to the end of that article, I talked about it's going to reveal who we are really. Who really are we as Christians? And this is the part that I really wanted to zero in on. And one famous example, church historian Eusebius describes a fourth century epidemic. By now, all of us have heard an epidemic story. You know, we're not in that level of pandemic. People, we're not having 50% death, but it's still a serious time. But this is what I love. As a result, Eusebius concludes, the Christians' deeds were on everyone's lips, and they glorified the God of the Christians. I, I think ultimately this is our moment, sisters and brothers. You know, uh, 
Uh, Wilfredo de Jesus, Pastor Choco, wrote a book called Stand in the Gap. I had him on one of the interviews. This is the time for the church to stand in the gap, to stand up, to show and share the love of Jesus. And I think when we do, we're going to see God work in powerful ways, exceeding abundantly beyond all we might ask or think. So I'm going to turn it back to Don now, and thanks so much for the opportunity to share with you. Well, thanks so much, Ed. It has been a delight to uh, to have this hour with you and to uh, uh, hear your heart. Uh, I really appreciate your heart for sharing the gospel. I know that that's, uh, that's integral to who we are, but uh, sometimes we overlook the most basic things and uh, really appreciate uh, you sharing with us this afternoon. Uh, we're going to uh, bring our time to a conclusion here in just a moment. I'm going to ask Ed to stick around and uh, uh, for a couple of moments of debrief and just yes, I want to actually stick around so we can plan when you have your next annual meeting on the west side of the state in Erie, Pennsylvania. That I would be your guest speaker and we could go hang out in Erie, Pennsylvania. So that's oh, all. We can make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> Super. We well, love guys, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, let's pray. Uh, thank you so much, Father, for your goodness to us. Uh, Lord, this is not only a, a season of challenge, but it's a season of opportunity. And I pray that, Father, by your Holy Spirit, you will awaken our hearts, our minds, our spirit to creative ways that we can share the gospel and bring people into fellowship with you. So, uh, Lord, we need you. Uh, we can't do that by ourselves, and we certainly are in over our heads, uh, uh, both uh, locally and, and nationally and even globally with this pandemic. Uh, uh, if it be your will, would you bring it to a conclusion? But uh, Lord, we don't want to skip over the opportunities that you may be creating by allowing this thing to happen. So uh, help us, we pray, to bring the love of Jesus into a lot of people's context and uh, Father, we'll thank you for your help in these matters as we pray them today. Uh, in Jesus' name, I pray, Lord, for our, for our pastors and our credential holders, and just ask that uh, you would protect us and keep us healthy and well. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope that you found value in this message. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe and share it on your social media to encourage others to tune in using the hashtag MyPendel. Thanks again, and God bless.